Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833 833- 995 gold that's 833-995-GOLD, 833-995-G-O-L-D. So I'm a father of what? I gotta find a babysitter. I found Care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out Care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. I know, I know. You think they can't go any lower, and they do. You you think they can't get any sicker than they do, and, and, than they already are, and they do. And they, they take us down to new depths that we didn't think were possible to be plundered. This idea that Trump is called fallen soldiers, losers, and and... A waste of his time is just absolutely beyond the pale. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday! And, of course, he's out there actively denying this. So we've got an October surprise in September. And it just doesn't make any sense. The one thing, just remember... All of Trump's efforts on behalf of the VA, all of his efforts on behalf of the wounded, wounded warriors, and to make sure that they are cared for properly. If he thought these people were losers, he wouldn't have cared one whit about what the VA was doing or how they were doing it. Anyway, uh, greetings, folks. Here we are wrapping up another busy broadcast week. It's Open Line Friday. I am your real anchor man and host for the next three hours. The telephone number is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. Man, what a what a change in attitude uh, this has caused. I, did any of you see the Trump rally last night? This Trump rally last night was maybe one of the best ever. It was certainly in the top five, and it harkened back to 2016. And I'm watching the rally last night, and Brian put up that photo. I want to show you what a peaceful assembly looks like. I want to show you what a peaceful crowd looks like. That is the crowd at Latrobe, Arnold Palmer Regional Airport, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, We're showing this up on the Ditto Cam. That's the crowd eagerly anticipating the president's arrival. You don't see 
anything there but good old-fashioned decent Americans politely waiting on their president, that is what a peaceful crowd looks like. Not what you see happening in uh, Portland or Seattle or Minneapolis or Kenosha or any place else. I'm telling you, this rally last night, I was, uh, you know, Catherine and I are watching this thing and we're saying that something had to happen. I've not seen Trump this up. He was flawless. His energy level did not change from the moment he hit the stage. There wasn't one, uh, uh, you know. He didn't lose his train of thought. He shifted from prompter to ad lib seamlessly. He was so on his game. I'm, I'm, I'm saying to myself, they had to get some good news. They had to get some, like, internal polling data must really be through the roof. As I'm telling you, folks, this was a Trump rally we haven't seen this year. We haven't seen the attitude we had from Trump last night. We hadn't seen the good mood. We haven't seen the uh, any aspect of it. And this is not to put down or to be critical of any of the Trump rallies prior to last night's. This is just how good it was. There wasn't a moment in this rally where anybody watching it could have been bored. It was compelling from beginning to end. It was hilariously funny. It was on point. It was the man had an instant recall, facts, things that have been embedded in his memory for years just were able to be recalled and appeared to be effortless. And it was, it was a joy to watch this last night. And again, one of the reasons why for me is because there had to be, in my mind, you know, having experienced this. Things happen and they give you a good mood before you go out. And I was saying something had to happen. And it wasn't this stupid story in the the Atlantic about Trump calling buried military heroes losers. I was thinking there had to be some some really good news about the economy. There had to be some really good news about uh, internal polling data uh, because he was just on a magnificent roll. Then we all get up today, and we've got audio sound bites of that, and we will have uh, examples so you can hear it for yourself. If you didn't see the rally, the rally Fox carried a little bit of it. Some of it, most of it, they bumped out of it about an hour in. You had to go to C-SPAN if you wanted to watch the whole thing, the rest of it. But this story in the Atlantic, I got up today, I read this thing, and it just, it took the wind out of my, oh, and by you want to hear something? I'm sorry to interrupt myself here, but this is a breaking story with all kinds of new things happening. Over on MSNBC today, there was an air, an ad. It was an ad called Vote Vets, and the ad featured parents of fallen servicemen saying, my son was not a loser. Now, come on, folks. You trying to tell me that this is not coordinated? This news breaks last night in the Atlantic on their website, and already there is an ad made that's running on PMS NBC. Featuring parents of fallen servicemen saying, my son was not a loser. 
how quickly they were able to produce a commercial corresponding with an article that just came out late last night. Either this is a record-setting, stunning turnaround for a genuine ad and a resulting genuine ad buy, or a media group is blatantly collaborating with a political campaign operation, and I have no doubts that it is the latter. And it's once again, it is further evidence that the Democrats and the media are convinced Biden cannot win. Now, why would they think they could sell this? Well, go back to 2016, where Trump had some comments about McCain. About McCain. I don't respect heroes that get captured. I don't think you're a hero if you get captured. He never called McCain a loser or any of the other terms. And now there's a story that the, the since, since, since Trump is denying this, the rest of the drive-by media is demanding that the anonymous sources for the story in the Atlantic now come forward and identify themselves. And you know who they think the sources include? John Kelly and John Bolton. And they are Maggie Haberman, others in the New York Times are demanding that these anonymous sources now identify themselves since Trump is so vociferously denying this. It is a horrible story, folks. And I don't believe any of it for a minute. But there are the very famous comments that he made about McCain, which for a lot of people was the was the glue that that made them support Trump. You know, McCain was not the universally popular Republican that the Washington inside the Beltway types thought that he was. And when when Trump came out and said, look, I'm not, I don't have this kind of respect for, for people to get captured. Those are not my kind of heroes. So, oh, that, that, that was thought to be one of the most insulting things you could say, particularly because it was about McCain. But here's the thing about Trump. Make sure everybody remembers this. Donald Trump may be the most anti-war president alive. The most anti-war president we've had in our lifetimes. Now, he's not an anti-war left-wing protester. What he hates is the needless loss of life by sending the U.S. military all over the world in operations that have nothing to do with American national security, American national interest, or American strategic interest. He's not a believer in sending soldiers all over the world just to make sure people make money in the process. He is the only person in Washington who looks at war as a losing proposition for America unless we're threatened, unless we are directly threatened, unless our national interests are at stake. He doesn't believe in using the American military as a nationwide, worldwide police force. And he is in the process of trying to bring soldiers home from as many places around the world as he can. Not because he thinks they're losers, not because he thinks they're incompetent, not because he thinks they're stupid and dumb to get killed in battle. He's like every other president. The worst aspect of the job is having to call the parents and family members 
of service members who have uh, fallen in battle. He is a commander-in-chief who shows his support of the military by not sending them around the world into quagmires to unwinnable wars. He does not favor keeping American troops in dangerous places simply so the American military-industrial complex can have a source of income that never ends. What do you mean you don't want what I mean? What does war require? It requires arms, requires uniforms, requires all kinds. The more you have the military deployed, the more money it takes to deploy them. And the more conflicts you put the United States military in, the more, the more ammunition, the more, the more weapons, all that that you need. Now, Trump has rebuilt the military in hopes of never having to use it so that it's a gigantic deterrent. But the, the letting of military contracts, for crying out loud, that's one of the greatest sources of wealth and income in this country. It's what Eisenhower meant when he warned of the military-industrial complex. The industries that make the agents of war, the weapons, the ammunition, everything that's needed, the vehicles, they, of course, love new contracts. They love an expanding military. They love a military that's constantly deployed because they need equipment, and weapons, and ammunition. And in many cases, we deploy troops around the world simply to keep that supply line going for people. Trump is dead set against it. Trump is, he's fought like crazy to get money necessary to build up all aspects of the military while not losing a step in the world. But remember, the Washington establishment, the deep state, it is full of people who want to go back to the way things were. They want to go back to where the military-industrial complex was something that was constant. The military was always in the process of being deployed and then replenished. The U.S. military was everywhere in the world, whether we needed to be anywhere or not. That's what the swamp wants to go back to. Something else. The Pelosi hair salon story was getting legs. The Pelosi hair salon story was doing damage. They had to shift focus, and Plugs was not helping himself out there. Plugs is wandering aimlessly in vain search of a thought the more he goes out and speaks. They had to do something to change the subject. The Republican convention was awesome. Everything. Trump's rally last night was one for the ages. So they pushed the story out that Trump hates the military now, despite the fact he's the only member of the administration that's done what he's done for veterans via the VA. He has, and he's made a big deal about it. I know that this was a gut punch for Trump because the U.S. military features people he loves the most, features people he respects the most. And now to have to hear that he thinks they're a bunch of, that, that people have died 
who have given their lives the ultimate sacrifice to have to get up and, and read that that people are saying you think they're losers? And not worthy of any respect. You know, this is the kind of it can make you sad for the country. This is this is just the death knell for journalism. This this whole thing is made up. There nobody can find any facts to back this up. The sources are all anonymous. And this is not the last such effort that will be mounted to get rid of Trump. This is the kind of thing that's going to continue. There's going to be more and more of this as it appears it plugs just as incapable of pulling this off. Trump's approval numbers back to the pre-virus approval high of 52%. Trump's approval numbers are at 52% now. It's an indication he has recovered from a summer of polling problems as the presidential campaign kicks into high gear. It's a Rasmussen Report survey. 48% disapproved. The last time Trump was at 52% was in late February, which was about a month before the virus shutdowns hit. Uh, Rasmussen also says that uh, an equal 42% strongly approve and strongly disapprove of the job Trump is doing. So 42% strongly approve, 8% somewhat, that's a total of 52%. Now, for the record, in past elections, both former presidents Barack Hussein O and George W. Bush had less than 51% approval on the day they won re-election. Got to take a break here, folks, as Open Line Friday rolls on. We'll be right back and continue after this. If Trump had actually called a bunch of American heroes buried in foreign cemeteries a bunch of losers and other insults, it wouldn't have uh, taken this long for that news to hit. They wouldn't have waited. They would not have been able to wait. They wouldn't have been able to contain themselves if Trump had said, no, I'm not going to go to that cemetery. There's a bunch of losers in there. What do you think? And all these people are around him? No, I'm not getting on that helicopter. Hell no. There's just a bunch of losers in that cemetery. That story would not have kept. Whoever had heard that would not have been able to wait, no matter how much discipline they had. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was there. She was present during this time frame where Trump supposedly insulted dead American troops. And this is what she tweeted. The Atlantic story on Donald Trump is total BS. I was actually there. And one of the people, part of the discussion, this never happened. I've sat in the room when our president called family members after their sons were killed in action. It was heart-wrenching. These were some of the moments I witnessed the president show his heart and demonstrate how much he respects the selfless and courageous men and women of our military. I'm disgusted by this false attack. Don't forget, this is the guy who doesn't want to send them around the world to die needlessly. When I say he may be the most active anti-war president we've had, I'm not exaggerating. He's not anti-war in the sense the left is the left is anti-war, anti-war. Trump is anti-needless, anti-wasted time, anti-waste of treasure, waste of resources, war. So Trump has been accused of treason. He's been accused of demanding illegal quid pro quos with a foreign country. He's been accused of killing 180,000 Americans who died with a 
virus. Now he's accused of insulting dead American war heroes. None of these other charges have been true. None of these other allegations from meddling in the election in 2016 with the Russians to trying to arrange some kind of quid pro quo with the new president of Ukraine to not caring about how many Americans died because of the virus. It's all been lies. Every allegation against Donald Trump has been lies from Democrats, from deep state Democrats, from fake news media Democrats, from elected hypocrite Democrats, and even some Republicans thrown in. I hope the American people are on to this pattern of deceit. We have audio sound bites and your phone calls, of course, coming up when we get back. By the way, folks, a little programming note. Listen very close for the remainder of the big program today because next week is treatment week for me. This was supposed to be treatment week, but I moved it. I moved it to next week because I was unexpectedly out last week with the... uh, very, 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 very dangerous infection that had to be dealt with. And so this was supposed to be treatment week. But if I had stayed on schedule, that would have meant two weeks in a row off. I can't do I've, I've never even taken a vacation that is two weeks, at least not, not, not in the last 10 years. So I'm going to be out Monday. That's Labor Day. And it would not be here anyway. Tuesday, Wednesday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week, out we got Mark Stein on Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe. The objective is to get back here on Thursday, as it always is. So that is the, uh, that's, that's the plan. Here's, uh, here's Joy in Erie, Colorado, as we get started on the phones on Open Line Friday. Hi. Rush, um, I just first want to say thank you so much for what you do. I don't know that you'll ever really understand the impact that you have. Well, that's um, that, 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 your. <laughs> you may be right, and I appreciate that uh, very. I don't think about that very much. I'm too busy trying to do whatever it is I do every day and do it well. Like I thought yesterday was a. I, yesterday was a. I could not get focused. I went home yesterday feeling so damn guilty. It was. It was. You wouldn't believe it. Um, you will never know how much I appreciate you, but I want to get to today at what I think is the story of the day, and that's the economic numbers, eight point four percent. For unemployment, which is absolutely unbelievable when you consider that the fifth largest economy in the world, which is California, and the tenth largest economy in the world, which is New York, are still completely shut down. It is amazing, is it not? That's a brilliant... I mean, that's, civilian unemployment has recovered 55%, 55% since April and March. And imagine if the schools would open. Imagine what yeah. would happen to unemployment then when more and more parents could then go back to work. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, I think you would probably cut that number in half if, if California and New York would simply open up. Well, I that's mean, why they won't, by the way. Right. But for him to have these numbers, that's another reason that these negative stories are going to start just they're going to start just populating, you know, everything that the journalists are going to be doing. And it's completely amusing because if this was a real story, why did it take them two years to bring it up? Well, that's my point. Something like this is so volatile and explosive, it wouldn't be able to keep this quiet for that many years. They, they just think we're idiots, and it's so aggravating. Well, they, I, they, they, do, do they do. They do. But believe me, 
there's something as powerful as that motivating them, and that is their failure to this point to do any damage to Trump. I cannot. I've tried to express it. I've tried to explain it. It's it's you have to understand the hate these people have. And I, you sound like somebody who does. They are so beside themselves. Look, they think they are intellectually superior to Trump by a factor of 10. They think they're intellectually superior to us by a factor of five. They think and, and they can if they target somebody, Joy that they want to destroy, talking about the the Democrats, the Washington establishment, they can take out anybody they want with hardly any effort at all. They've launched everything they know, everything they've got at Trump, and it hasn't worked. And in fact, I have a story today. This is from uh, the the New Yorker. They are – the writer of this story is frustrated – that nothing sticks to Trump, that nothing is damaging Trump, that Trump's base will not abandon him. There's, wait till you hear this. It's hilariously funny. They're beside themselves. So the hate that they have is combined with their own ineptitude in getting rid of Trump. And, and so, yeah, they hate us. And yeah, they despise us. But they are motivated by trying to show themselves they still have what it takes to get rid of people, and they're failing miserably with Trump. The, the Pelosi story, because she couldn't take one day of anyone shooting anything at her. If if the press were to even remotely be fair and shoot their guns at them on the same level that they shoot them at Trump, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is imploding as she's, you know, completely trying to take this business owner down. And well, I know that's another reason why this story came. They had to stop the bleeding with Pelosi because it was starting to have uh, a negative impact. And of course, Biden is uh, is is he's not. They had dreams, they had hopes that they would be able to keep Biden in the basement that Kamala Harris could pick up the slack on the trail, but it isn't. It isn't working. And I'm te- look, folks, the, 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 Joy, thank you very much for the call and your and your really, really kind words. I appreciate it more than you can know. In fact, stick with some of the economic numbers that she started with. We have now we've now clawed back half the jobs that were lost to the coronavirus with, as Joy said, some of our largest states. Not even open. They're still locked down. 1.37 million jobs were added in August. The unemployment rate has fallen to 8.4%. That is, nobody expected it to be that low. Nobody had the slightest idea. We have broken the 10% unemployment level faster and deeper than anybody thought possible. Now, as Joy pointed out, imagine, ladies and gentlemen, if New York and California and New Jersey, Illinois, Virginia, Oregon, Michigan, North Carolina, if, imagine if they were still basically not shut down. All of those states are essentially still in lockdown. Imagine if the hundreds of New York restaurants were open and busy. Instead of New York restaurant owners having to sue their own mayor and governor for keeping them shut down. 
Their own governor, their own mayor is destroying their livelihoods, telling them they're not going to be able to reopen until next spring. So despite this, the U.S. economy adds 1.4 million jobs as the unemployment rate unexpectedly tumbles, indicating the nation's labor market is continuing a slow but steady recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. It is flat out gravity-defying. It is amazing when you consider the large states which are shut down. Here's the story. I think this is the New Yorker. It uh, sadly didn't print. Susan Glasser headline. The 2020 election, a race in which everything happens and nothing matters. If a pandemic that has killed nearly 200,000 Americans cannot significantly hurt Trump's support, can anything Do not doubt me, my friends, when I tell you about these people and what motivates them. They are so frustrated, they can't see straight. They literally have launched everything they've gotten, including this latest, absolutely slanderous and libelous allegation that Trump thinks American soldiers who have lost their lives and are dead and buried in cemeteries are losers and suckers. They've thrown everything and they they can't they can't damage Trump at all within his base. And that has been the objective. They've known that if they could somehow get just a small percentage of Trump's base to abandon him then they would have a chance at defeating him in the 2020 election. But this woman's so frustrated. Here's here's how her piece begins. Does anything matter anymore in American politics? In the week since Donald Trump's convention ended with a personality cult party on the White House lawn, the president has completely refocused his campaign on threats to law and order from rioters, anarchists, agitators, and looters, which is exactly what they are. She even disagrees with that. He has suggested there'll be a rigged election. Well, you people are trying to rig it. What the hell do you call refusing to accept the results from 2016? You're still trying to rig that? If you could, you would have reversed those election results. Ms. Glasser, you people are everything Trump says about you. Then she complains that Trump has urged supporters in North Carolina to commit election fraud by voting twice. No, this is Trump's own version of Operation Chaos. He says, vote twice. Let's run a test. Let's actually see what happens when you vote both ways. How can it be an attempt to rig the election when you tell everybody what you're doing up front? It's obviously a test. It's also meant to tweak them. It's also meant to provoke this kind of reaction, which it did. The president personally ordered a review of federal aid with the goal of withholding money from anarchist Democrat-run cities that have allowed themselves to deteriorate into lawless zones. Here she's quoting Trump. And he has baselessly alleged that Joe Biden is taking some sort of enhancement drug and claim that Biden is the pawn of shadowy dark forces. And she's sitting there, and she is 
stunned that none of this is harming Trump. Ms. Glasser, if I may, and I'm, I'm addressing you specifically, purposely, and I'm trying to do this respectfully. You need to eliminate some of your arrogance. You need to start asking, why do Trump supporters believe these things? For example, Joe Biden is the pawn of shadowy dark forces. I believe that, too. I just wouldn't put it that way. I don't think Biden is actually running his own show because he's not capable of it, Ms. Glasser. There are people who wanted Biden to win the nomination for whatever electability reasons. There isn't anybody else in that Democrat primary that showed they had the ability to even win the nomination, much less defeat Trump. Somebody is writing on the teleprompter what Biden is supposed to say. There is somebody, and we don't know who they are, Ms. Glasser, and that's why this is important. Joe Biden is not going to be the president, even if he wins the election. Somebody else is going to be, and we don't know who they are. And they're going to have immense power. They're not having to campaign. They don't have to identify themselves. They don't have to personally put their necks on the line raising money. Biden is the front man. The deal was with Bernie Sanders, if Biden adopts the Bernie agenda, then Bernie will send his supporters to Biden. So we know that whoever is running this show is hell-bent on a radical leftist agenda and that Biden is the placeholder for it. Trump is simply acknowledging the fact that there are people running the Biden campaign and not the campaign manager and not the consultants. There are people who have not identified themselves. We don't know who they are. That's all Trump means. It's not something dark and sinister. It's not conspiratorial. It simply has to be the case because Biden is not mentally capable of orchestrating or leading or managing something as massive as a presidential campaign on a day-to-day basis. He is a foot soldier like everybody else in the campaign is. Somebody is giving the orders. Somebody is coming up with the agenda. Somebody is deciding where Plugs is going to go to make a speech, where he's going to go make an appearance. It isn't him. That's all this means. Anyway, I got to take a brief break, my friends, as time is marching on pretty rapidly. We'll be right back. It's Open Line Friday. Rush Limbaugh executing assigned host duties flawlessly. Zero mistakes. There never are. Here is Samuel in Minneapolis. Great to have you, sir. I'm glad you waited. Mr. Big, long-time listener, great to speak with you. Thank you, sir. That's exactly Mr. Big of the vast right-wing conspiracy. And you were correct again by the uh, people in the Atlantic using those words that the president would never use. But that's what they do think and they do use. You know, that is the key. That is, that is exactly how they think of the military. In fact, John Kerry, you remember John Kerry was speaking to some military. He was at Pasadena City College. This is during the George W. Bush presidency, during the second term. And Kerry's out there talking to a bunch of students at Pasadena City College. And he said, you know, education, if you make the most of it, if you study hard, you do your homework, and you make an effort to be smart, you can do well. If you don't, you get stuck in a rock. John Kerry, who believed 
that American soldiers were terrorists. John Kerry and John Murtha, the late John Murtha, Democrat Pennsylvania, running around accusing Marines in Iraq of terrorizing Iraqi women and children. Agreeing with the premise that American Marines in Haditha were terrorists. All to criticize the American military. Samuel here is exactly right. This is what they think. I'll tell you something else, folks. If the president had said these things at a military cemetery, there would have been numerous senior military officers around him. And he knows that there's a lot of people in the military that don't like him. Many of those senior officers do not like him. They are not fans. If he would have said what he's alleged to have said, that these buried heroes are nothing but losers and suckers, those words would have been splashed all over the front pages from those military officers in less than 24 hours. They wouldn't have waited two years. This did not happen. This is what the left thinks of the military. Make no mistake about it, and they always have. Here is the president. Grab soundbite number 24. Um, He hates to bring up the John Bolton book. This is in the Oval Office moments ago. I hate to bring up his book, but John Bolton, no friend of mine, he wrote a book, and he talks about this incident, and he doesn't mention it. And frankly, a lot of reporters... Uh, even some pretty bad ones, they read that and that was the end of the story. Now, there's nobody that considers the military and especially uh, people that have given their lives in the military. To me, they're heroes. To me, they're heroes. It's, it's even hard to believe how they could do it. And I say that the level of bravery. Uh, and to me, they are absolute heroes. Mr. President, just remind them everything you've done for the V.A., I mean, there isn't anybody who single-handedly has revived the VA for the benefit of wounded warriors. And now, you know, there's people who drive by media want this to be true so bad. But Trump is so vociferously denying this that you've got New York Times reporters and CNN reporters begging. There are four anonymous sources, and they are begging these four people to come forward. They are begging them to come forward and identify themselves. They so want this to be true. Even little Brian Stelter, CNN, it's time for you sources to put up or shut up. With Trump denying it so strongly, they need the proof, and there isn't any yet. Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic says that the anonymous sources are afraid that if they come forward, they would get angry tweets. They don't want to come forward because they get angry tweets. So John Kelly and Mad Dog Mattis afraid of tweets? Have you guys been watching Biden in there? Because I just got back in. Is is he actually now trying to take off on this Atlantic story? Is Is he? Trump has demonstrated he's got no understanding of service, that the American military needs to understand that the commander in chief's got their back. Is he is he really trying to piggyback on this? Because if he is, that demonstrates the coordinated aspect of this. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday! Yes, sir, Bob. Open Line Friday, wrapping up yet another exciting week of broadcast excellence hosted by me. 
Rush Limbaugh with talent on loan from God. And once again today, I woke up. I thank God that I did. Here's the phone number if you want to be on the program, 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushmore at eibnet.us. Uh, Mr. Broadcast Engineer, grab soundbite number 25. This is Jeffrey Goldberg. Jeffrey Goldberg is the editor at The Atlantic, the editor-in-chief. This is the the publication that ran the story last night that Trump has called fallen soldiers dead and buried in military cemeteries around the world losers and suckers. So now the drive-by media, since Trump is denying this so forcefully, the drive-by media's demand is four anonymous sources. Four. And I'm sure that that number is what they are relying on to give the story credibility, as opposed to one or two. Yeah, man, we've got four. Well, the drive-bys desperately want this to be true, but they're not confident for some reason. Uh, Normally, a story like this would hit in the New York Times and the Washington Post would pick it up and, and run with it, even allowing that they haven't confirmed it themselves, but still run it. They would, they would, they would get, they would, they would play their part in the smear. They would eagerly want to play a role in the smear. They're not. They are desperately asking for these anonymous sources to come forward and identify themselves. It is believed, drive-by media knows who they are. They think that two of the anonymous sources are Mad Dog Mattis, former chairman of Joint Chiefs, and uh, John Kelly, the former chief of staff. Kelly, a former Marine. Mad Dog Mattis, a former military guy. Trump is quoting John Bolton, uh, John Bolton in his books. Bolton didn't even talk about this in his book, and Bolton would have known. And believe me. Believe me, if Bolton would have heard this or heard about it, it would have been in his book because his book would have been the first to make mention of this. So anyway, the drive-bys are now urging these anonymous sources to come forward. There is a growing call for the anonymous sources who were cited to come forward and defend their claims against President Trump. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is demanding that they come forward. However, despite other media outlets confirming the reporting of Editor-in-Chief Jeffrey Goldberg, a story this explosive and so close to the 2020 elections getting intense scrutiny from members of the drive-by media. Max Boot, a never-Trumper columnist, Washington Post, said that since Trump is now denying what Goldberg has reported, his sources have a duty to go on the record and tell the voters firsthand what they saw and heard. CBS News reporter Catherine Watson said the sources 
in the Atlantic story should go on the record if they want people to believe them over Trump. Otherwise, the president's supporters are going to largely not believe this. We have an important election coming up. People should have all possible information plainly before voting for their commander in chief. Maggie Haberman, New York Times. If only John Kelly could say on the record what happened. John Kelly should confirm the reporting. So they clearly think Kelly is among those for anonymous source. So here's Jeffrey Goldberg. He's the editor-in-chief, and he's the author of the story. He was on CNN's New Day today. And here, listen to this. They don't want to be inundated with angry tweets and, and, and all the rest. And we push hard, and um, that's why you have to sort of do this reporting with even uh, more belt and suspenders approach. What? Dotted I's and cross T's and find multiple sources for it. But oh. ultimately, and you know, each time this is a judgment call, right? Right. Does the right. public's yeah. interest in needing this information outweigh the ambiguities or the difficulties of anonymous sourcing? And in this case, I yeah. decided that I felt I knew this information well enough from high enough sources and multiple sources that I thought we should put it out. They're afraid of tweets, folks. John Kelly, Mad Dog Mattis, afraid of angry tweets and all the rest. That's what the author of the story is saying. They don't want to be inundated with angry tweets. And Come on. They don't have to read them. They don't have to even see them. They don't have to ever go to Twitter. They don't have to open any source that's going to reprint what Twitter says. Are you kidding me? That military heroes from the United States are afraid of being inundated with angry tweets. You know, folks, there's a part of me that does believe this because so many of these inside the Beltway denizens believe that Twitter is America. But this, even with that, this is just beyond comprehension. They're afraid of tweets. They're afraid of being inundated with negative tweets. And so we have to just rely on the fact that we have our anonymous sources. And I decided that I felt I knew this information well enough from high enough sources and multiple sources. We haven't been told the truth from these people for four years, folks. And there's no reason to think that we're now getting it. We haven't been told the truth about the Trump-Russia meddling scandal we weren't told the truth about a whistleblower in the Ukraine story. We haven't been told the truth about anything. We have been lied to so often by so many about so much that it would be senseless to start believing stuff. Now we get something like this so close to the election. Said the anonymous sources were, were ambiguous. So he, the writer, had to put it together. Now, how could you be ambiguous about what they're claiming? Either Trump said that fallen soldiers buried in military cemeteries are losers and suckers, or he didn't. There isn't anything ambiguous about this. But this clown, Jeffrey Goldberg at The Atlantic, writes this story. So, well, the anonymous sources were a little ambiguous. I had to connect some dots here. I had to put it together. 
How can there be any ambiguity about this? Grab soundbite number eight. Here is President Trump. This is last night after getting back from the rally at uh, at Latrobe. And again, folks, I have to tell you this this rally last night. Um, it is a shame that the rally is not more of a story today. It was the finest rally all year, and it may be in the top five Trump rallies ever. Now, I'll have to admit, I didn't see every Trump rally in 2016, but I saw enough of them to know he was going to win the election. Now, I'm somebody, I study speech. I study delivery. I study everything about public speaking. I study confidence. I study the assuredness level. I study every aspect of it. And I am telling you, that what President Trump did last night in Pennsylvania was among the best he has ever done. It is worth you, if you didn't see it, it is worth you going to YouTube to try to find it. Now, I don't want to keep talking about it because if I do, I'm going to build up expectations to a level where they can't possibly be met. You know, that happened to me with a movie, The Exorcist. I was only the last to see that movie. And in the process, I had had so many people tell me about it, how scary it was, how revolutionary scary it was, stuff that had never been done in a horror movie before. I heard people tell me they got so scared they almost had to walk out, adults. So I, when I finally saw this thing, I went in there practically ready to run out. And when it was over, I said to myself, what the hell was the big deal? Okay, so we had a we had a dummy here with a head doing a 180, vomiting pea soup. Big deal. My expectations could not have been met. And I don't want to do the same thing to you with this rally last night, but I am here to tell you it was it was one for the ages. He weaved in and out from serious to funny. Do you know how difficult this is? It's, 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 it's what happens on this program. This program, if I may go a little inside baseball, we combine two and sometimes three elements. And to do this, you have to have credibility in all the elements. So we combine the serious discussion of serious issues with irreverent, satirical and parody humor. We do that with credibility. And we do it by switching on a dime. Now, if, I don't know, let, let, let's say Johnny Carson. Let's say Johnny Carson during the Today Show. If he ever came out and spent 20 minutes getting dead serious with you about what he thought of politics or culture at the moment, you'd be uncomfortable and you'd be saying, that's not why I watched The Tonight Show. That's not why I'm here. You'd be nervous. If Ted Koppel, on the other hand, during the Nightline days, had decided to open his show with a 15-minute joke monologue, you would have said, that's not why I'm here. I, that Koppel's not a comedian. Well, Trump does both. Trump can go from president of the United States talking about everything that's deadly serious to cracking jokes inside of one sentence, and he brings the audience along and does it with credibility 
on both sides. Does it without skipping a beat. He goes on and off the teleprompter seamlessly. Do you know how hard just the prompter by itself is? It is very hard to use a teleprompter and make it look like you're not reading it because people get dependent on it. When the words are right in front of you and they're flowing by, you are a prisoner to them. And if something happens to the prompter, if it freezes or if it goes dead, you're stuck. Oh, no. Oh, no. The prompter. And your, your mind isn't working because your mind isn't thinking. Your mind is focused on reading. Trump would not be thrown off if his prompter stopped working because he stops in the middle of it. The hardest working guy at a Trump rally is, a, is the prompter operator. He's got to recognize when Trump's back on prompter. He's got to stick with Trump as long as he reads a prompter. Then when Trump decides to go off of it, he's got to stop the prompter at that point. You could not miss the energetic optimism throughout this thing last night. I, I looked over at Catherine. I said, something has happened. They've got some great news. There is a reason his mood and his attitude is what it is tonight. And I thought maybe they got some great internal polling data that just came in, or maybe it was this economic news that uh, was reported today. But something was responsible for it. There wasn't one, uh, there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't the intellectual pause. Oh, I, 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 perhaps, maybe, none of that. The audience was at rapt attention for every word. Now, he gets mocked, Trump does, for being a moronic, unpresidential boob. Let me just tell you, as a highly trained instinctively talented communications expert, you can't do what Donald Trump does in these rallies or these impromptu get-togethers at the White House in the Oval Office. You can't do what he does without a vast and superior intelligence and awareness of the topics and circumstances You can't do what he does without having an empathetic awareness of your surroundings. You can't do what he does without being aware of how the audience is receiving what you're doing. Are you boring them? Have they tuned you out? Are they paying rapt attention? You've got to be able to factor all of that while you're doing what you're doing. You have to have a vast memory. You're going to go out there and speak for 90 minutes. You better have instant recall. Remember what I said earlier this week that I think that the Democrats are trying to foment a race war in this country by reacting to Trump's, the Republican convention, in the way they did with nothing but pure hate. I think they're trying to goad Trump into responding with hate so that they can then say, see this guy, he's a pure hater. I think this is what this story in the... um, in the Atlantic is all about. I think they're trying to provoke. I think they're trying to goad Trump. This this fake news, this Atlantic piece, is just the ultimate attempt by the Democrats and the media to provoke him, to get him to respond out of character, off character, with sheer anger and hatred. 
so far he's resisted. He's 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 been entirely disciplined on this ever since the Republican convention ended. I got to go. Quick timeout. We'll be back and continue. Your phone calls will continue as well right after this. So some uh, some reporter just asked Joe Biden to comment on Donald Trump's soul based on this story in the Atlantic. By the way, this Jeffrey Goldberg guy, the author of the story, is one of the biggest Obama suck-ups you will ever, one of the biggest sick of This guy, Goldberg, if Obama was still president, this guy going to die of anal poisoning someday. He's such a suck-up. And so the idea that these people would be working in tandem to do great damage to Trump makes total sense. And now Plugs is out there responding to this as if it's true. We'll get to that in a minute. Here's Ethan in Huntsville, Ohio, as we head back to the phones. Thank you for waiting, sir. Hi. Hi, Rush. Thanks for taking my call today. I appreciate it so much. You bet, sir. Um, I'm calling today because I'm an 18-year-old college student. I've been listening to you probably since my middle school years. And I just really want to let you know the impact you've had on my life and the outlooks that you've given me. I'm, I really wouldn't be the same person without you today. Uh, I, <laughs> that's so nice of you to say. I, um, you, you, that's, I don't know, you're rendering me speechless here. I, um, uh, that's, that's such a, your generation, 18, 20 years old, to be able to reach people like you is a, that's a great thing. That That's a, that's a, you're making my day with this. I can't, I, I, I <laughs> Really appreciate it. No, and if I could add one thing, I think in today's world of social media, how kids, how kids my age are addicted to it, I think you're going to be really surprised come election day, the results of our age group voting for Trump. I really think you'll be surprised. I hope you are right. I live, you know, I, I have, you, you are, you're, your existence is what I literally hope for out there. The fact that there are people like you, I hope it. I hope that there are lots of people like in your demographic, in, in your age group, that see things as uh, as they are. Thank you so much, Ethan. I'll tell you, just folks, it, it, it floors me. Uh, we've had two people call today. We had an 18-year-old young man uh, telling me that I've changed his life. We had uh, somebody from a completely different demographic say the same thing. And I I really, I'm, I get tongue-tied. I don't quite know how to react other than, other than to say thank you. I mean, it has profound meaning, and I, I deeply appreciate it. I just don't quite know how to express that. Um, but I want you to know that it's really... Uh, Deeply appreciated. It's it's almost I don't want to say embarrassing because that would that would mean that I don't uh, take what people are saying seriously, and it's the exact opposite. I really do. And as um, as such, I just I don't know how to say thanks other than thanks. And I'm, I need to find uh, other ways. We have. Polling data from Florida. This is from the Trafalgar Group. This is a Republican group, I believe. Likely voters, September 1st and 2nd, Trump 49, Biden 46. That is a change. 
this is one of the places where they've said Biden is beginning to uh, to pull away. The suspect in the Portland fatal shooting of a, a shooting of a Trump supporter himself has been killed. Michael Reynolds, the Antifa thug who admitted to murdering Trump supporter Aaron J. Danielson in an interview with Vice magazine. I saw that interview. This guy was proud. He was proud that he had murdered a Trump supporter. Well, he himself was killed last night in the state of Washington. Members of a federal fugitive task force tried to take him into custody. He was shot after drawing a gun on officers. So you could say maybe suicide by cop. Suspect in Portland fatal shooting has been killed. Federal task force was uh, was behind the effort. Washington Post op-ed says that the election will end in violence unless Biden wins in a landslide. A Washington Post op-ed published it's actually uh, yesterday, suggested that uh, you ought to prepare for war. If the election result is anything but a landslide for Joe Biden, the op-ed was written by Rosa Brooks. She's a law professor at Georgetown University. The title of her op-ed, What's the Worst That Could Happen? In the op-ed, she notes that the Transition Integrity Project, something she co-founded, built a series of war games, gathered participants and asked them to imagine what they would do in a range of election and transition scenarios. A landslide for Joe Biden resulted in a relatively orderly transfer of power. Every other scenario that she war-gamed involved street-level violence and political crisis. So now, now the American left is forewarning us. Now, I'm going to submit to you that everything they have been doing this year and throughout the past, let's say, three years, has been to send this very warning. They're, They're... Behavior has had motivation behind it. Their behavior has had reason behind it. They have been trying to intimidate you. They have been trying to manipulate you. And they have been trying to scare you. And what they want you to believe is that if you'll just help get rid of Trump, that all this other stuff will go away. That they'll open up the restaurants in New York and they'll open up California and they'll stop whatever they're doing in Washington and Oregon and everything will go back to normal if you elect Trump. Also implied in this, what you're supposed to infer is that if Trump wins re-election, this stuff's only going to get worse. It's up to you. It's up to you, America. Do you want your country constantly in chaos? Do you want the radical left taken over? If you do, then you just keep supporting Donald Trump. Well, guess what? Now they're not leaving this to chance. Now they're not leaving this for you to figure out. They're not just relying on their manipulation and subtle attempts to um, influence you. They're just coming right out and telling you now. 
that if Biden does not win and in a landslide, meaning it better be doubtless, it better be no question about it. If Biden doesn't win in a landslide, then your country is going to be violent, 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 24-7. And they published this at the Washington Post, which means they stand behind it. And it means she's gone out, she's wargamed this. She went out, she talked to various Americans and said, okay, if this happens, what are you going to do? If Trump wins, what are you going to do? Of course, you go talk to a bunch of lunatic leftists. And they'll tell you they're going to do what they're doing now. They're going to tear it down. They're going to rip it apart. They're going to burn it down. Then you go talk to some independents. What are you going to do if Biden wins? Oh, if Biden wins, Biden wins, that'll be great. They'll be, oh, we're looking for a change. Go talk to Trump supporters. What are they going to do if Trump wins? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're going to continue to make America great again. You go tell some anti-Trump supporters, anti-Trump people. The Trump supporters just said that If Trump wins, it's going to be great. They're going to keep on making America great again. What's your reaction going to be? Violence, violence, violence. So she's gone out. She's wargamed it in her terms and asked people how they all going to react with various scenarios. And if the only scenario where there is peace, the only way... There is no violence in this country is if Biden wins in a landslide. Now, what else does that tell you? It tells you that as far as Rosa Brooks and the rest of the left is concerned, that you Trump supporters, if you lose, well, no big deal. Just be the next thing that happened in your life you weren't particularly crazy about. But you're not going to cause any trouble. You're not going to get violent. You're not going to start protesting. You're not going to start burning anything down. And you're not going to start looting. You'll just take it. See? You aren't going to do anything. If you lose, why, you're so used to it, they just chalk it up as... It couldn't go on forever. But note... Biden has to win, and in a landslide, otherwise, there is peace for nobody. Each exercise that she wargamed resulted in both Democrat and Republican participants calling for supporters to take to the streets. Team Biden repeatedly called for peaceful protests while Team Trump encouraged provocateurs to incite violence, then used the resulting chaos to justify sending federalized guard units or active duty military personnel into American cities to restore order. So she did find a scenario where you'll raise hell if you lose. It's preposterous. Everything that we have seen says it'll be the other way around. It's the Biden team that's being violent now. It's the Biden team. It's the Democrat team that is engaging in riots and looting and destruction. There's no reason that'll change if Biden loses. Anyway, I just want you to know that they're still out there doing everything they can to frighten you. 
into voting against Trump. Remember we had the story earlier today? 2020 election, a race in which everything happens and nothing matters. Susan Glasser in The New Yorker can't believe that despite all of this negative stuff Trump does, it's not hurting him. They can't believe it. So now they're threatening you. Guaranteed violence. Unless Biden wins in a landslide. Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh. We're going to get back to the phones here in just a second. Things keep happening that if I don't share them with you, I'll feel bad that I'm not keeping you on the cutting edge. Biden just finished. He had a speech that he took questions. And folks, I have to tell you, I had a chance to watch some of the questions. And that's what this next soundbite is. I have to tell you, this was embarrassing for journalism. This was nothing but a bunch of sycophants. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if their questions had been written for them by the Biden campaign, and they dutifully read what was on the card. It was. You look, how many times have reporters had a chance to question Biden about anything? Practically zilch, zero, nada. This may be the second time. They, it was, it was embarrassing. It's as embarrassing as this stupid story that Trump thinks that soldiers dead and buried in military cemeteries are, are losers and, and, um, and jokes. I mean, it was, it was bad. And I have one example here. I don't know who this reporter is, but it's just, it, it's a straight sycophant question. It's designed to go easy on Biden and to set him up. It's a classic softball. Here you when go. When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul and the life he leads? Based on other things he said, I believe Stop the tape two. a minute. Stop the tape. I will never forget journalists were asking Obama, how are you dealing with the stress of the job? How are you? Are you getting enough sleep? I'm not making it up. People were actually asking him that question in the first year of his first term. And now we've got this. When you hear these remarks that Trump made, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul and the life he leads. What the hell kind of question is that? If it's not a question that was pre-written and given to this reporter, who then dutifully and happily read it. Okay, so here we go from the topic, and here's the answer. When you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul and the life he leads? Based on other things he said, I believe the article is true. I'd ask you all the rhetorical question. How do you feel? How would you feel if you had a kid in Afghanistan right now? Pretty good, actually. How would you feel? They're coming home. If you lost a son, daughter, husband, wife, how would you feel, for real? I know that's not your job to express that feeling, but you know. You know in your heart, you know in your gut. It's deplorable. There's that word. I've just never been as disappointed in my whole career with a leader that I've worked with, president or otherwise, that if the article is true and it appears to be based on other things he said, it is absolutely damnable. It is a disgrace. So, Plugs believes it. 
Pluggs has made the decision that he is going to believe the story in the Atlantic. And he's he relished the question to talk about Trump's soul and uh, Trump's life and uh, all of that. And Joe Biden cannot compare in any way to the life Donald Trump has led. Joe Biden has an accomplished diddly squat compared to what Donald Trump has. Joe Biden couldn't do 85 or 90 percent of what Donald Trump has done. Donald Trump has come and conquered Joe Biden's business. Joe Biden would be lost attempting to operate in Donald Trump's world. And yet we're treated to this 47-year veteran of the Washington Swamp commenting on his opinion of the fitness of Donald Trump to live and his soul and to exist. Makes me sick. Grab soundbite number eight before we go back to the phones. Here's Trump. This last night, Joint Base Andrews gets back from the big rally in Latrobe. And here's a portion of what he said about the Atlantic article. They made it up. And probably it's a couple of people that have been failures in the administration that I got rid of. And I couldn't get rid of them fast enough. Or it was just made up. But it's unthinkable. It's a disgrace that a magazine is able to write it. If they really exist, if people really exist that would have said that, they're lowlifes and they're liars. And I would be willing to swear on anything that I never said that about our fallen heroes. There is nobody that respects them more. No animal, nobody. What animal would say such a thing? So this is one of the most angry responses I've ever heard him uh, engage. the, the, The Russian collusion hoax didn't make him this mad. I mean, I even talked to him about that on the golf course, and and he was laughing about it. He was expressing some incredulity about it. But this is literally beyond the pale. A couple of people have been failures. They couldn't get rid. I couldn't get rid of them fast enough. It's unthinkable disgrace. A magazine is able to write it. Anyway, to the phones. Here's Matthew in Irwin, North Carolina. I'm glad you waited, uh, Matthew. Great to have you here. Thanks, Rush. It's an honor to talk to you. I've been watching you since I was about seven or eight years old on your TV show. Um, my my thought was I've been watching The Last Dance, the ESPN uh, show on Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and I watch how they kind of let the media destroy him, talking about how he became a bully and how he had a gambling addiction, trying to link his gambling addiction to his dad's death. And I'm watching it just kind of making a comparison of, how they've done all that same type of stuff to Donald Trump without any without any facts or anything to back up what they're saying. And then I was watching a little bit deeper into the show, and they they were upset at Michael Jordan for not endorsing a, a Senate candidate. And I was just wondering if you think that was a connection, and that's why they tried to destroy Michael Jordan the way they did. Well, I, it's a really curious thing to me. I haven't seen I haven't seen a single episode of this, uh, and frankly, I had forgotten that it was even on. So I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here, Matthew, because I haven't seen it. So I'm just simply able. In fact, I'm sitting here. I had no idea it was this 
critical of Michael Jordan. I thought it was uh, going to be just the exact opposite. So you're saying that they really come down hard on the guy. Well, in the show, they're not coming down hard on him, but they go through the the media coverage in the nine. Oh, jeez, I just I gotta go. I just I look. I was off by one minute. I'm sorry. I'll address this when we get back, but I gotta go. I know these these Biden media appearances are scripted. They never ask him about him. They never ask him about his policies, his objectives. They always ask him only about Trump. Right? Okay. Back in a minute. And the farce continues. Guess what else, folks? We have a new uh, we have a new model projection on the number of deaths from COVID nineteen. And you know what the new number is? Four hundred ten thousand Americans will die by January, according to the latest projections, according to the latest models. So Donald Trump is out there calling military people who've lost their lives in service to the nation losers and jokers. And now we've got the prospect of 410,000 Americans dead from COVID-19. And, of course, we've got a farce for a press conference from Joe Biden out there. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday! That's right, my friends. One big, exciting, busy broadcast hour remains. Going to be going to the phones a lot here. People have been waiting patiently. One thing that, that I noticed... In this in this Biden press guy, he took he took some questions. It's only the second time that he's taken questions. The questions were embarrassing. They were sycophantic. Folks, I'm just gonna tell you, it's a bunch of ass kissing that went on here between these journalists and Joe Biden. If I were Joe Biden, I'd be embarrassed. But he may not have the sense to be embarrassed. But if I were him, I would be embarrassed. I would say, ask me some tough questions, you guys. Come on. But he didn't, and he doesn't, and he won't. Every question he gets is about Trump. He's running for the presidency. They didn't get one question about Tara Reid, for example. The woman accused him of harassing him, harassing her. He didn't get a single question about his policy objectives. He didn't get a single question about how he's going to deal with the virus. He didn't get a single question about his economic plan. He didn't get a single question about anything to do with him. Every question was about his opinion of the latest so-called outrage involving Donald Trump. Joel Pollack, who... uh, a writer and editor at Breitbart, agreed with me, said this Joe Biden press conference is a farce. One planted question after another. Every one of the questions is a setup for a Biden attack on the president. The staff pick who gets to ask questions. And it's going to be two months of this crap, folks. It's going to be two solid months of this kind of softball sycophancy of the media treating Joe Biden with kid gloves while they are essentially borking Donald Trump.
This is exactly what this story in The Atlantic is today. This is no different than Ted Kennedy going out and borking Robert Bork. In Robert Bork's America, rogue police will be arresting women who seek to him aboard. Whatever the garbage was that came out of his mouth. It's no different than how they tried to destroy Clarence Thomas. It is identical. It is right out of the Democrat Party playbook. Just make it up. But I want to reiterate something. Trump deals with a lot of this almost with an equanimity that that might make you say, how come you're not angrier about this? Because as the Trump campaign said, there was some outrageous allegation two weeks ago or last week. And Trump's, you know, if, oh, it, it, it was about it was about uh, his sister, Marianne Trump Barry, the former federal judge. And she supposedly had been secretly taped by this this wacko niece, this this Mary Trump. And she had caught Mary Ann Trump talking about Trump doesn't read and he's an idiot and he cheated his way into college and all of that. And they asked Trump about it. He said, you know, every day it's something else, you guys. I mean, every day, every day you got something here. I don't pay any attention to it anymore. I have been with the president on the golf course discussing the Mueller investigation after it was over. And... Um, there were serious aspects to it. Don't misunderstand. But he deals with these things with a, an equanimity and a, and a sense of balance. This today has really ticked him off. This allegation that he thinks dead American soldiers are losers and that he doesn't want wounded soldiers in any parade that he's in because they are an embarrassment. This has really ticked him off. Now, I think, as I have so previously stated, I think they're trying to goad him. I think they're trying to provoke him into a reaction that would uh, allow them to then do stories on how he's unstable. I can't take the heat, how he can't take uh, when the truth is that there isn't a single person in that town who can tolerate for one week what Trump puts up with. In that same week, there's not a single Biden sure as hell couldn't. Joe Biden wouldn't know what to do if he didn't have a bunch of ass kissing journalists in his press corps. He wouldn't know what to do. He wouldn't be able to keep up if he had to deal with the press as Trump has to deal with them or any other Republican has to. And by the way, pardon my French, but it's exactly what these reporters are doing. And they are not asking Biden a single thing about him. They're not asking him about his son. They're not asking Biden about China or Ukraine. They're not asking. Hey, Mr. Vice President, would you like to finally put to bed all these allegations about your son Hunter and taking money from the Ukrainians? And the, not even getting that. Every question's about Trump. Would you like to comment on Donald Trump's soul? Mr. Vice President, would you like to weigh in on the life that President Trump leads? Would you like to weigh in on the moral shortcomings of your opponent? So we have the Democrats returning to their playbook. 
recycling the lie that uh, Trump dishonored the parents of a dead hero soldier. Remember the uh, Kazir Khan and his wife at the Democrat National Convention 2016? You know, Trump made the observation that Kazir Khan never even let his wife speak during their speech at the convention. So they came back and they accused Trump of being a sexist. Their son was a gold star. Well, they're a gold star family. And they're simply recycling. They're trying again to recycle this visit. Trump is anti-military. The Trump has no respect for the military. They're just recycling this stuff. I want you to hear some of Trump's rally last night. Uh, and that we're going to start here with. Uh, we've got one, two, three, at least four. Two, oh, oh, oh! You're, you're, you're right. You're right. I got this. Michael Jordan business. Here's why I got confused. I'm not aware of Michael Jordan ever getting negative media, folks. And our caller said that this ESPN special on Michael Jordan is highlighting negative press regarding Jordan's gambling and the period of time where his father died. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember negative media on, on my, I, I remember the media, but they loved Michael Jordan. They still do. They all wanted to be invited on the bus. They all want to be invited to play in Jordan's golf tournaments. They all want to be invited. He's got some restaurants, cigar bars. They all want to be invited. They want to be part of Michael Jordan's world. I'm not aware of negative press coverage of Michael Jordan. Now, that's not to say there hasn't been some, and Michael Jordan may hear me say this and laugh. Well, what have you been missing? Because he may think there's all been tons of it. But I don't remember any of it. I remember when he when he retired from the NBA, they were desperate. They were sad. When he ended up going playing minor league baseball, they loved it. They thought Jordan was great. They thought, oh, this is wonderful. When he unretired from the NBA, came back and rejoined the Chicago Bulls. They were all a Twitter. They were all excited. They couldn't get enough of Michael Jordan. There was, there was one aspect, however, of Jordan that they might have been mad at. Michael Jordan did not endorse political candidates, and he did not get up front and center involved in politics. And he had a very simple explanation. He said, Republicans buy sneakers too. Meaning, why do I want to sit here and alienate half of the customer base? Now, if the press was irritated at that. I can I can understand it. I can believe it. I just don't remember it. So when the caller said that ESPN's got this special running, I don't even remember the name of it. The name of the special is something or other. I forget what the name of it is. I haven't seen it. But when the caller says that uh, ESPN's highlighting negative media, I don't remember seeing any. So I was kind of kind of paralyzed there because how can you comment on something you don't think has happened? I mean, saying that Michael Jordan gets negative media is like saying that Charles Barkley does or that that, uh, that Barack Obama gets negative. It just doesn't happen. I'm sure they think it does. But somebody like me, I would kill for the press that Jordan gets or got or Charles Barkley. But it ain't going to happen because I am a conservative and they are not.
So you deal with that and you move on. Now, here's Trump. I just I want you to hear some examples of this rally last night because, folks, it was one for the ages. We'll just go in order. Here is the first bite. They want to ban straws. Has anybody ever tried those paper straws? They're not working too good. So they want to ban straws. I said, oh, really? What about the carton? What about the plate? What about the knives and the spoons that are plastic? Oh, they're okay. But the straws we got to ban. Has anybody ever tried? Seriously, the new straw is made out of paper, right? It disintegrates as you're drinking. If you have a nice tie like this tie, this would have no chance. By the time you get finished, the straw is totally disintegrated. This was a Trump rally from 2016. He was amped up. He was in a good mood. Whatever came to his mind, it was a stream of consciousness for an hour and a half. Now, you might, what do you mean, Rush? The first bite and you want to treat us to Trump talking about banning straws? He was on a whole riff on environmentalism, and he started out with how stupid and wasteful and what a bunch of wackos the Paris Climate Accords was. So after he tells people what he thinks of the Paris Climate Accords, something happened, triggered him on paper straws, and he's off and running on them. Here's the, the next bite. He, ju- he eviscerated Joe Hyden in this He hasn't bite. answered questions in, what, two months or something. And yesterday, he took a couple, and they were setups like I've never seen. One young woman, who I think is there, one young woman is smiling. Hi. 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 Hi, I'd just like to ask you, I'm sorry to bother you with this question. I, it's the most incredible. So Joe Hyden, we have a new one, Joe Hyden. We call him Joe Hyden. Did you ever see a man that likes a mask as much as him? A lot of times he has it hanging down because you know what? It gives him a feeling of security. If I were a psychiatrist, right? No, I'd say, I'd say this guy's got some big issues. Now, he was talking there about the fact that Biden walks out half the time with a mask hanging, drooping from his ear. Joe Hyden making fun of the media, asking him questions. One young woman said, hi, hi, I'd just like to ask you, sorry to bother you with the question, but it's exactly how these press conferences go with Biden. I'm sorry to ask you this, but what do you think of President Trump's soul? And, 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 and would you like to comment on the life President Trump leads? Kamala Harris, by the way, is pushing and still pushing banning straws, and that's also something that Trump made mention of. Here's the next bite where he eviscerates Nancy Pelosi. She said, I was set up. I was set up by the salon owner. I was set up. I said, tell me she didn't say that, please. If she was set up, then she shouldn't be leading the House of Representatives. I want the salon owner... To lead the House of Representatives because she set up, think of it, she set up the Speaker of the House. Nancy, you're not supposed to get set up. You're representing our country. You know what she should have done, honestly? She should have said, I made a mistake. Sorry. And nobody would be talking about it. This is like the biggest story. Crazy Nancy. Highly overrated person. Yeah, that's a good point. Salon owner set her up, and Pelosi is actually admitting that she was set up by the salon owner. And the salon owner can easily refute it. She has a bunch of chairs in her salon that she sells or rents out to independent contractors. There's no way. I mean, Pelosi called and set up the appointment. Anyway, that's old news. 
but he was just on a roll. Here he is uh, on Cuomo and de Blasio in New York. If you took New York out of it, which was a disaster by Cuomo, if you took New York out of those numbers, we would have numbers that would be even better than they are. I could read numbers that would be even much better because a big percentage of the people that died in this country died because New York was incompetently run by Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo. Just four short examples, a brief break, and we'll come back and resume with all of you on the phones right after this. All right, here we are. It's Open Line Friday with Rush Limbaugh, with half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. We start now with uh, with Pat in Greenville, Texas. Welcome, sir. Glad you waited. You are up next. Rush, I wanted to just say quickly, you are at the top. You and the election are at the top of our prayer list about every time. I have two questions or related. Uh what happens to these great American cities when all this business and these people and the commerce that they do uh, are just deserted, more or less? Uh, how are we going to make up for that? And kind of even more important to me personally is all of these uh, liberals are moving to Texas and a lot of conservative states, but particularly here. And, you know, we are a conservative bulwark. And so what happens, every election, Texas is a little more blue and a little more blue. What happens when these people come and uh, turn us into blue states? Well, if that if that happens in Texas, and you can forget about winning the presidency unless we convert some, some other state to it. Now, there's a lot of variables in your in your question. Um, let's let's go. The first the first question is what's going to happen to all of these cities? I assume you mean these blue cities, these Democrat cities um, like Minneapolis and Chicago and Port New York, these cities that are essentially still in lockdown and shutdown. Uh, I'll tell you what they're planning on. They're they're planning on Biden winning and all these states being bailed out. That is the plan. And that's the bet. The bet is that they'll be able to tolerate two more months of basically being shut down or in a form of lockdown just enough to make sure that the suppressed economic activity in these cities will be enough to prevent great economic recovery numbers nationwide so that Trump cannot use them as part of his campaign. The objective, they think they're going to win, and after they win and Biden is elected, then they're going to bail out these states and these cities. That's the plan. If they lose, well, then those bailouts are not necessarily guaranteed. That would keep Trump in the Oval Office, and he's going to see no need to reward these people for their efforts to damage his presidency and to damage his uh, his campaign. I think I think these blue state governors and cities are playing with fire and I think they're doing so by playing with the lives of their own constituents that I think is going to come back and bite them in the rear so bad they're not going to know who and what did it.
Hi, welcome back. All right, uh, the ladies' last question, what do we do about all these liberals leaving their own disasters of states and moving to places like Texas and Florida and North Carolina? A bunch of these displaced liberal Northeasterners moving to Texas. Isn't this eventually going to turn Texas into a blue state, she said. Yeah, it could. It could. In fact, if you folks, it's but if you look at the borders, the border counties in Texas that border on Mexico, they're already purple. And that's immigration. That's illegal immigration. That 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 is already a sign. That's that's not migration from the northeast or from the upper Midwest. And I I saw that and that was very sobering. Now, we're probably not in danger of losing Texas right now, but there's a there's a bigger problem that we face. I think it was earlier this week, there was some never Trumper, and even if I remembered his name, I wouldn't mention it to you. <laughs> and he's not alone. There's a bunch of these people out there saying that the only hope for the Republican Party is a massive defeat. Just just lose and lose big. That's the only way of getting rid of the Trump influence in a Republican Party. And then, after a massive defeat, the Republican Party can then begin to reassemble itself, put itself back together into a proper functioning political party. And what struck me about this and it's not it's not just never trumpers although they are uh they are they're singing from that hymnal i don't understand all of these people who think somehow by losing they win and it pinpoints a problem that we have up until donald trump the republican party never looked at itself as something that was designed to win. It was supposed to lose, lose with honor. If it lost, which was going to happen because we're the minority party, this is what the people led the party believed. This is what the Romneys and the the McCain's, you know, this group of people that, that led the Republican Party, their belief was. Like McCain knew he wasn't going to be elected president. That's not why he ran. He ran to put it on the resume. He ran to make sure that his life and his resume were complete. He wanted the honor of having started out John McCain, son of John McCain, goes to Annapolis, serves in Vietnam, shot down Hanoi Hilton, all that, caps it off by running for president. He knew he was going to lose, especially after he shut down his campaign in the middle of a financial crisis. Expected to lose. Romney expected to lose. They didn't really think they're going to win. And But losing with honor, losing with good manners, losing in such a way that the left and the Democrats still respect you in the morning was the objective. And now we have somebody who doesn't even understand the concept of losing, doesn't want to lose, does not think there's any value in losing, and believes, in fact, in the exact opposite. And that's winning. And the reason this is important, let's look at Texas. If you just look at demographic shifts, 
it's only a matter of time before we lose it. If your attitude is that the Republicans are not really about winning, but about maintaining and losing with honor, losing with dignity, then eventually we're going to lose Texas. Eventually, demographics will take over. You're going to have the, the shift from the Northeast and the Upper Midwest, and illegal immigration is going to have its impact. And eventually, Texas is going to go blue. And they think this is going to happen and nothing can stop it. Now, naturally, people who do not think about winning would have that attitude. So there's never Trumper that I saw earlier this week, and there's a bunch of them who literally believe that the only salvation going forward is for the Republican Party to lose. Then it can get rid of all these bad influences led by Trump, sweep everybody away, including talk radio, including Fox News, get rid of the conservatives in the Republican Party, start brand new, and go back to what the Republican Party was, a bunch of moderate rhinos who had their own leaders that the left accepted, but they were never expected to win. Sorry, that isn't who makes up the Republican Party. The Republican Party is made up of people who want to win, who want to defeat the left, and that's why they do not abandon Trump. It's why they will not abandon Trump, no matter what tricks the left comes up with. So how do we stop Texas from going blue? Simple. You compete. You stop treating all of this as a fait accompli. You don't simply accept Texas is going to go blue. There's nothing we can do to stop it. You compete for these people. That's what Trump is doing. That's why Trump is such a godsend for our party. He is competing. He is out trying to get as many people in this country as he can to join his movement. He's not trying to lose. He's not trying to clean things up and make the party Something that it isn't, he's trying to rename it, reshape it, so that it is a party of victory. And what's the slogan? Make America great again. America first. Everything he's talking about is real. Everything that he believes, everything that's part of his campaign, sloganeering, whatever, his agenda. It's about America and being great. It's about America returning to great prominence. It's about America being first again in the ultimate, most positive of ways. And he is attempting to bring as many people into this movement as he can. And that's how you do it. You sure as hell do not do it by losing. Who the hell wants to join a party that just lost on purpose as a means of somehow cleaning itself up? There's not a reasonable person with a sense of common sense anywhere that wants to join a party that just lost on purpose. But yet all of these former Republicans somehow seem to think that that's the ticket. We have a guy who is the president, who's the leader of the party, who is obsessed with winning because of what it means for everybody. And there are other moderate rhino Republicans who somehow are offended by this. Trump has implemented elements of an agenda that they have devoted their lives to advancing. And yet they're miserable. They're unhappy. And they hate Trump for doing it. Now, why? 
Is it because Trump's the one doing it and they couldn't find a way to do it? Maybe they couldn't find a way to implement their agenda because they don't have the slightest idea how. Maybe they don't care because that's not their objective. Maybe their objective is just to be considered smart. Qualified for this think tank or that think tank or this magazine or that magazine. But actually doing the heavy lifting of implementing an agenda? Why? They said all these years, if they couldn't do it, nobody could. Trump in three years demonstrated the utter incompetence of all of these supposed conservative leaders. And that had to anger them and shake them up as well. But look, politics isn't being bad, and it's not for the faint of heart. And you don't just sit there and say, someday we're going to lose Texas. Not if you mean it, not if you're serious, not if you're in this because you really love your country and you want to save it from the ravages of the radical left. You have to compete. You have to compete for the minds and hearts of the American people. That's what Trump is doing. And you see what that is making happen to him. You see what they are attempting to do to him, and yet he doesn't give up. He doesn't back off. He doesn't tone it down. He doesn't change. He doesn't beg for better treatment. He just keeps piling it on him. He's showing how it's done. Can you imagine if we had an actual party apparatus that was unified behind Donald Trump and wanted to help him accomplish his agenda, we would be living in a much different party. We would be living in a much different presidential campaign. And we would be living in a much different country. Look at this, folks. Ann Romney, the wife of Mitt Romney, will team up with Michelle Obama and Hollywood liberals in a comedy special designed to get out the vote. Anne Romney is going to team up with Michelle Mybel Obama in a comedy special? Are these two women funny? So they're going to team up with Hollywood liberals in a get-out-the-vote effort, and the get-out-the-vote effort is a get-out-the-vote against Trump. I mean, it is just astounding, the opposition and the obstacles that Donald Trump has to go through in order to see to it that he has a chance of having his agenda implemented. The thing is, the only thing left in this country that's allowed to be joked about is Trump and white people and Christians. That's who you can legally make fun of now. And Romney probably admired in the Mormon community in Utah. So who knows what impact this is going to have. But I think it's I think it's a dreadful mistake. I think it's pure, petty, personal, nose-out-of-joint stuff. And all this talk about Donald Trump's Manners offend me and Donald Trump's tweets offend. Those are just convenient excuses.
for people who just can't admit that they can't hold a candle to Trump in any of these competitive ways that would be necessary to beat him. Back in a moment. We are literally in a fight for the soul of this nation. We are in a fight to preserve the American founding and to preserve the American way of life. We are in a fight to preserve Western civilization. And I'm sorry, folks, but you don't do that by losing. You don't do that by having and hoping your party loses in a massive landslide so that somehow you get to put the pieces back together because there aren't going to be enough pieces to put back together to make anything sensible out of it. How in the world does a massive rejection, which equals a defeat, how in the world does that set you up for massive success down the line? But yet, this is what we're getting from our never-Trumpers and a whole bunch of others. Let me grab, this is D. D is in Spokane, Washington. Great to have you. Hi. Hi. Prayers to you, Rush. Thank you. I just, I just wanted to let you know I'm a retired uh, letter carrier after 30 years. I recently retired, and I just wanted to let you know about my concern with mailing ballots And I know you were talking about even the absentee ballots. And I know that in November, when we vote, there's many absentee ballots because of the snowbirds. And I I would just like people to know that there's good carriers and there's a lot of rabid union carriers that are being told repeatedly Trump wants to take away their vote. I mean, their their job. He wants to close the post office and privatize. They hate Trump. And all my years, I know that there's ways that they delay mail, they can make mail disappear. We have a saying, which is in post office, called, take it for a ride. And if they want to delay something, they don't deliver it that day, they'll take it for a ride, or they'll put it back in the mail stream. Uh, it reminds me of when you were talking years ago about Lois Lerner. Lois Lerner! You... Yes, that's right. The Lois Lerner was the one that was responsible for delaying and denying fundraising status to uh, conservative fundraising groups. And she didn't even need a memo to do it. She was in that job because it was understood she would do it anyway. Look, this mail-in ballot thing, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you called, D. We all understand the pitfalls of this. Here's all you need to know about mail-in voting, folks. The only thing you need to know, the president needs to make this point more frequently and a little louder. No ID is required. Now, he, he talks about how Absentee balloting is much, much different because you've got to go through a process. The process is proving who you are. You cannot vote absentee without proving who you are. Mail-in balloting, you don't have to prove who you are. You can make it up. You don't have to prove anything. There's no ID and there's no ID verification. It is made to order for fraud. That's the only reason the Democrat Party is interested in it. And I need to remind you again, all of these outrageous things, the mail-in voting, the... Oh, by the way, John Bolton has now... Trump never said it. He never said 
that buried soldiers in cemeteries are losers and suckers. Bolton said, if he'd have said it, it'd have been in my book. Okay, folks, we're out of time, and I'm um, just enough time to remind you, Treatment Week is next week. And if it goes the way we have it, I'll be back here on Thursday. It's always the objective. It's always the objective, and we're going to try to make it the objective next week as well. Labor Day is a holiday anyway. Tuesday and Wednesday are the actual days off. Mark Stein will be here. Thank you so much. Come back and wrap it up right after this. Don't go away yet. I think the Democrats are much, much less confident of their so-called victory than they are leading us to believe. And I think all of this panic, all these things they're doing equals panic, and that's what it means. See you next week, folks. Thank you so much for being with us today. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.